This is Let's Break Good, the podcast where good is just not good enough. I'm your host, Joe Agoda, and on today's episode, The Case to Break Good. We'll start with the story of inspiration to an unlikely beat. How did rap music, teaching kids to read, and the ethernet of my college dorm help me uncover a passion that has me breaking good to this day? Then, some creative tips and tricks to getting your colleagues to get on board with your ideas and initiatives. We'll end the episode with a message to the CEOs of the world, and we'll explain why it's either break good or get left behind. So let's do it. Let's get started. I want to break free. Let's get started on episode three, the case for breaking good. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through three levels of the case to break good. And that's going to begin with level one, which starts with you, the individual. The case to break good is different for everyone, but it begins with one simple thing, finding your passion. Maybe you already know what it is. Maybe you don't. Um, The fact is that finding your passion doesn't always happen overnight. But eventually, if you're exploring and learning and experiencing, you will find your passion. And why does the case to break good need to start with you, the individual? Well, it needs to be something that you care so much about that you are going to wake up every day excited to take that on. If it's not something that's core to what you believe in and what you want to achieve, then when the going gets tough, you're probably going to give up, become apathetic. And so that case needs to begin with the individual. And it happens on a different timeline for everyone. And it's a different challenge area or topic that ignites your passion. But that's where you have to begin. And so I'll... I can't tell you what your passion is. What I can do is share my story, my inspiration of how I found my passion in the early 2000s via an unlikely path that included a reading club and the famed Atlanta rapper Ludacris. So it's around 2003 and I'm a college student. And as many college students do, we look for after-school jobs that can help us with some income and help us, you know, pay some of the bills and have some money uh, on our hands. So while I was looking for a job, what I found was actually an after-school program for elementary school students. And these were students who were uh, low income and their parents wouldn't pick them up till 6 p.m., And they hired college students to help them with their homework and to play board games with them and run clubs and and stuff like that. So I picked up that job and I would get on the bus three times a week and take it to this elementary school. And I was put in charge of the reading club. And these kids were just not interested in reading. 
computer games, playing on the playground. If they had to, they would do their homework. But reading was just not exciting to them. They had a hard time paying attention. Many of them were already struggling or behind on their reading levels, so they were frustrated by it. And so for a number of weeks, I just did my best to try to get the kids to sit, listen, read, but I was failing. And then one day when the kids were playing on the playground and this was before the reading club started for the day, the kids were playing and I noticed something. I noticed that the kids were having rap battles. And that really got me thinking because they were having rap battles with the lyrics to songs that were on the radio and they knew the words to the songs. And so that kind of got me thinking and I went back to my dorm and I went online and I found some websites that had the lyrics to the songs. And it was something where I looked at them, I read the lyrics, and this was like Ludacris, Usher, Little John, you know, these are 2000 rappers. And the lyrics themselves, I needed to edit them heavily. But thankfully, they had the radio versions of the songs and the lyrics to them still had to edit them. But I did it. And I'll never forget the next time I came to reading club, I sat all the kids down, I got the lyric sheets out, and I put it in front of them. And they looked at it, they looked up to me, and they said, Mr. Joe, what is this? I said, well, these are the lyrics, the words behind those songs that you're rapping on the playground. And they looked at me again, little, you know, confused, but then suddenly, I could see them almost smile and a light bulb go off. And they said, wait, Mr. Joe, rap music has written words? And I said, yes, indeed they do. And I remember they, they looked down and I could see the motivation. It was amazing. They would want to be the one on the playground that knew all the words to the songs. So you could see them in the chorus and that hook and the really memorable parts, they knew every word and it was easy for them. And it built some confidence in them that they could do it. And then of course on the verses, which were a little more complex and a little you know less memorable, they struggled, but still they wanted to, to read it. They wanted to know the words. And soon they were talking to me in a very different way. They said, Mr. Joe, can you bring us this song? Can you bring us that song? And it really broke down the walls and got them excited about reading. And for the next few weeks, it was like I had a breakthrough and kids were excited to come to the reading club. They sat down. I would mix in books. I said, hey, if you want the lyrics to that song you asked me for, you got to read this book with me. You got to finish your homework first. And they would do it. So after a few weeks, I got really excited about what I had discovered. And researching at my university, I found that there was a grant for students who are doing innovative, creative, creative uh, community service projects. And I went and I learned more about the grant and I talked to them and I told them about my kind of what I had found out about running this reading club. And they said, yeah, apply. And I applied and I actually won a $5,000 grant that would also give me college credits to try and build a curriculum 
around what I had discovered. Uh, it actually also allowed me to add more students to the reading club and even hire another student from the university to join in with me too. And I realized we were onto something special using online music lyrics and the technology of the internet and what was available there to create something that included rap music. But also I realized there were other songs from, you know, the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s that probably would also inspire them and help them to, to learn to read. And I'll never forget that my curriculum, when I did this, started with the Jackson 5 classic, ABC. Over the next few weeks, thanks to this grant, I had a thriving reading club. I was playing music. We were reading lyrics. We were reading books. We were getting progress with the students. I could see them coming out of their shells. I could see them talking about reading and getting excited about it. And actually, kids were trying to get into the reading club at this point. Uh, it was literally a rocking place to be. And it was amazing. But I had this itch still. I had an itch that there was one more thing we could do because by now we had an entire library of music and a pretty good playlist that the kids had learned to read. And that's when the last piece of inspiration hit me because in my dorm, they had all of the computers for the you know few thousand students that were in the dorm, one kind of shared network that made accessible everybody's music on everybody's computer. And what I found was that all the songs that the kids were learning to read were available for me to download and that what I could do was burn a personalized music CD called the I've Read That Mix for the students who graduated from the reading club. And I'll never forget when we closed the first graduates of the reading club and I handed out that I've read that mix as something to take away from the experience that they could have. It was magical for them. You know, these were kids that heard these songs on the radio but had no idea that you could actually burn a CD just with those songs so you could listen to them whenever you wanted. So, of course, this was like super exciting for the students. They loved it, something they could take home and remind them of their achievement in the reading club. And it was at this point that I started to think about maybe there was something even larger to this program. Maybe we could bring it to more schools. And I started, you know, dreaming bigger and bigger until I got a call from the principal of the school saying, Joe, can you come by my office before work when you come in? And I thought, well, maybe they're really excited about the reading club. So I, I got into the principal's office, got in there a little early before, you know, the after school program started. And she looked at me and said, Joe, um, I've heard reading club has gotten very popular but I've also heard 
that you are giving the kids rap music? Is that true? And I said, yes, that's true. But the kids, you know, already know these songs or already listening to them. And she said, and I've heard you're teaching them the words to all these songs. And I said, yes, but I'm editing them heavily. And like I said, they know the words. So maybe this is an opportunity to have a conversation with the kids. What does this mean? How can we, you know, take these words And she said, well, there's one more thing I heard, that you're also giving them pirated music CDs. And that's when I stopped. I said, yeah. And she said, Joe, I know your heart's in the right place here, but this program is going to have to be changed. No more rap music. No more music CDs. Just reading. And... The threat was that I would lose my credits that I was getting from doing the project and it would hold me back from graduating. So I had no choice but for the next version of the reading club to go back to more normal. I definitely still played them some music and I definitely did still some music lyrics, but it just didn't have the same effect. And while that did get shut down, my passion was lit. How could I use new technologies to educate, inform, and inspire people? And that passion that I discovered in that project is a thread that has gone through my work ever since. And so there it is. That's my story of my level one beginning to breaking good, to building the case to break good. And it was in me. Um, And if you have that already, and once you find your passion that allows you to break good, you're now ready to go to the next level, the second level. And that's all about convincing your colleagues at your company that it's time to break good. And this is where it gets tough because not everyone is going to share the same passion as you do. They're not going to have the same energy And they're going to need a lot of convincing that they need to think differently and change the way they work. And that case that you're going to have to make is going to have to be a powerful one. So I want to give you some guidance here. First and foremost, you have to make sure that your passion and the project you're putting forward to your colleagues aligns with the mission and bottom line of your organization. If you can't frame what you're trying to do as something that will help what the company is already trying to achieve, then you will go nowhere because people say, that's a nice idea, Joe, but that's not what we do here that has no relevance to our company, to our organization. So you have to make sure it aligns very well. So go look at your company's mission statement, look at what it's already doing, and when you start making the case for your company your colleagues to break good, you have to get it aligned. Next, you have to empathize with your colleagues and think about timing when you make the case to them. Our colleagues, sometimes we forget, are also humans, human beings that have good days and bad days and have moments when they're open 
to something new and when they're going to close off and get defensive when you try to talk about something that may change the way they work or have to have them do things a bit differently or even break some rules. So make sure you empathize with your colleagues when you're talking to them and when you're trying to make the case to break good. That is one of the biggest pitfalls I've seen is people say, well, I have a good idea. That should be enough. No. You have to really know where your your colleagues are. And each colleague may take a slightly different case to convincing them. And you may need to convince them at different levels. And you have to think about, well, what do I need from this person where they sit inside the company for my breaking good idea to work? So empathize and think about timing with your colleagues. One other piece of advice. A good idea is not enough. When you go to your boss, your supervisor, or others inside your company, they are not going to judge your idea just on the merits. They are going to look at your past reputation and where you sit in the company. So if your idea is way out of your job description and you go and pitch it, you have to think about their probable responses. Joe, that's not in your job description. Joe, that's not what we do here. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Why would we agree to doing that with you? So your past reputation, how many years you've been at the company, where you sit, will be part of what your case to break good is judged on. So don't forget that. So there's a little bit of starting guidance as you begin to try to make the case to break good at your organization. And since it's so challenging, I want to do a little lightning round of tricks, of strategies to advance your case inside your company. So I'm going to do some quick hits here. Trick number one, let beneficiaries make the case. So that means if you have a great idea and you want people to buy into it, you just giving a PowerPoint and you trying to talk about how good it is, is not going to be as effective as getting the voice and the perspective of the individuals who stand to benefit from your initiative to make the case for you. If you want to think about that, that's like if you're trying to get an organization, let's say, to see the benefit of having education given to young girls and the power behind that, who would be better at making the case, you or Malala? The first place this funding will go to is where my heart is, to build schools in Pakistan, especially in my home of Swat and Shangla. Trick number two, the innovation showcase. This is something that I've used in the past when you're working with folks that are bought into the idea of innovation and doing new things. And, you know, there's this whole culture that we should buy into innovation, but it doesn't seem like when you pitch their, your ideas, it's getting anywhere. And the innovation showcase means creating a space that feels innovative when you share and make the case to your colleagues. 
What I've done before is I take a normal office space, I'll put up post-it notes everywhere, I'll put up half-built technology around the room, I'll do things to make the room feel really creative and different, and then invite the colleagues in and make the case and make the pitch there. And you'd be amazed when people feel an innovative, cool space, how they react differently than your normal PowerPoint, cold office space. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. The last trick for the day, finding an innovation godparent. What this is, is looking for someone inside your organization at a senior level that shares your passion and the belief of breaking good that you're trying to make. And what this does is gives you someone who has the reputation and the knowledge of the structure of the organization and who your allies will be and who your enemies are going to push back or you're going to be. And what an innovation godparent can do is give you the air cover to make the case. And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then you become my enemies. And then they will fear you. So trick number three, find yourself an innovation godparent. Now we've arrived at the third level of the case to break good. And we need to speak directly to the CEO of the organization. What is your case to break good? And really, it's one of survival. A CEO needs to see that breaking good is fundamental to the future of their company. And that's for a number of reasons. One is that you're going to need customers in the future. And as social problems rise, as we have more emergencies, more diseases, more disasters, more people displaced, more people falling to poverty, shrinking middle class, they will lose customers and that will hurt their bottom line. So by breaking good, And tackling some of these social problems, not only is it good for the world, but your customers will be there for the next 10, 20, 50 years. Another case to the CEO is that you want to have the best talent at your company. That's what fuels you. That's what keeps you at the head of the pack is by having incredible talent. And it has become clear among millennials and the next generation and also among some of the older employees at companies that having purpose in their day-to-day jobs is becoming more and more important. So the only way to recruit, retain, and develop your talent is to break good. And that does not mean cause marketing. That does not mean 
putting out a nice little story and saying, hey, look, we donated a little bit of money and we gave to this disadvantaged group and we should all feel good about it. And we should all pat ourselves on the back. No. What the talent of the future wants is purpose integrated into your mainline business, inherent in your corporate strategy and culture. So the case to the CEO, you want the best people working for you, then it's time to break good. And last and not least, break good to stay on top of your competitors. Because when you have the top talent working together towards a common purpose, that's where meaningful and valuable innovation is going to come from. And if you don't do it, your competitor will. The question is, do you want to be a blockbuster or do you want to be Netflix? Do you want to be Polaroid or do you want to be Canon and take over the digital photography game? So the case for the CEO is to stay on top of your competitors to get the best talent and to ensure a sustainable future so you have customers. So the top level to the head of the organization is an existential crisis. That's your case to break good. That's today's episode, The Case to Break Good. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to the next one. It's time. It's time to break good. But life still goes on. Get used to living without, living without, living without you by my side.